Know how important and valuable you are that if you're born with a dream inside of you, that that's literally why you're on this planet. And so you have to believe in that dream. You have to believe in your soul's purpose and you have to let it happen. Hi, I'm Ellie Lax and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello and welcome. My name's Steve and I am just getting over a cold, so I hope you enjoy my cold voice. This is World Gone Good, the podcast where we shine the light into the darkness to prove that there's still good out there. Oh, yes, there is. Listeners like you can help spread the good by sharing us with your friends through social media, subscribing to our show, rating and reviewing us, or just sending me some chocolate. I like chocolate. That's good, too. I'm going to keep today's show intro short so we can get right to my conversation with our incredible guest. How short am I going to keep it? Well, that's it. We're done. Let's go start the show. I am such a fan. There are people who are fans of um, celebrities and musicians and bands and art. And I'm a fan of people who are doing what I hope to do someday. And you are one of those people. Um, and I had the pleasure of coming last year, right around this time, to the Gentle Barn. and got to spend several hours there, which was really cool. And I just thought we could have a great conversation about that and all you do. And I'm going to start in a place that I don't think you're going to think I'm going to ask you. So here's your first question, Miss Ellie Lax. What, what was your first pet? <laughs> my very first pet was a dog named Simon. He was an Australian shepherd. And my parents brought him home late one night when I was four years old. And I took one look at him and I absolutely knew that we were going to be best friends. And we were. He raised me. He was my best friend. I would race home from school just to be with him. We gallivanted around the woods and the lakes together. We played games. We sled together in the snow every winter. He was magical. And how many years did you have? He actually lived 19 years. Wow. Yeah, he brought me into my 20s and then he passed away, but he he really raised me. Oh, that's incredible. And you seem to be somebody I'm imagining that, um, and I'm just taking a guess here, that you probably brought home animals along the way that maybe your parents were like, why did you bring that home? Or am I just, <laughs> is that just a guess you I'm making? You have me pegged. <laughs> <laughs> I was the kid that just kept bringing animals home, lizards and snakes, turtles, bunny rabbits, injured birds, baby birds, cats and dogs from the neighborhood. And my poor parents, like my dad worked all the time and my mom had her hands full with us three kids. And the last thing she needed was a house full of other animals she needed to take care of. So it was very challenging for her. And what she ended up doing was kind of rehoming them or placing them when I was at school and I would come home to find them gone. And I can understand her motive, but for me coming home and finding my new friend gone was very, uh, it was very painful and um, it hurt me very deeply. And I would say, but that was the beginning of the gentle barn because I would come home to find them gone. I would be very, very upset. And I would say to my poor parents at the time, I would say, you'll see when I grow up, I'm going to have a huge place full of animals and I'm going to show the world how beautiful they are. So it was out of that pain that the gentle barn was born. Wow. Now let's go here for a second. How many siblings do you have? I have two younger brothers. Okay. So you're the oldest. Yeah. 
and you um you graduate high school. Did you go to college? Did you have a career in mind? Were you one of the type of people who are like, I'm going to be a veterinarian type of person? Um, you know, I actually didn't want to be a veterinarian from a very early age. And I, I don't know why I knew this, but it seemed that veterinary care was more scientific and more medical. And I really wanted to be on the emotional side. I really wanted to breathe the life back into somebody and be able to hold them and love them instead of dealing with clients that like want to put their dog to sleep when they shouldn't be, or clients that didn't want to spend the money doing a surgery that their pet needed. I didn't want to deal with those things. I really just wanted to be able to take someone broken and make them whole. And when did the idea of the gentle barn in its first inkling come into your head as a I'm going to go for this. Yeah. So it was my dream since I was seven, but I had no idea how to start. So it kind of just remained a fantasy while I was going to school um, to, you know, have a real job, quote unquote. Right. Um, and it was 22 years ago that I was driving down the street and I saw a petting zoo I'd never seen before. And it was very crowded and it smelled funny. And there was a lot of animals there and I'd never seen it before. So I just, found myself pulling over and going in there just to kind of be nosy. And mm -hmm. the scene was absolutely horrific. Um, the goats and sheep had overgrown toenails. The animals were in very small cages, some of them. Nobody had water, even though it was 110 degrees outside. And I just very quickly realized this was not a good scene. And um, it mm -hmm. made me sick to my stomach. And I was like, I have got to get out of here. And running for the door, there was a goat that was blocking the exit. And I looked at her and she was absolutely falling apart. Her toenails were overgrown. I thought she was pregnant at the time. Her coat was filthy and matted. And she looked me in the eyes and she literally asked me for help. Um, now, at the time, I was a young adult living in a small house with a half acre backyard. And I immediately said, yes, I could bring a goat home. So I went to <laughs> So I went to find the owner and said, hey, can I have that goat thinking I was doing her a favor? And she said, no. And I said, look, that goat is going to die if she doesn't get any help immediately. Um, can I buy her? And she said, no. And I said, well, I'm just going to stay here till you say yes. And I stayed there. Yeah, I stayed oh. there for 12 days. Oh, my. Wait, what? <laughs> you know, real? she looked me in the eyes and she asked me for help. And I just couldn't turn my back on her. I just I couldn't go on with my life until I made things right with her. That's amazing. And then what happened? The owner finally gave in. Yeah. On the 13th day, the owner was like, lady, take the boat and get the heck out of here. <laughs> wow. Where did you sleep? No. So what I did was that um, I came at six in the morning every day. And I would say, hey, can I have Mary? And they would say no. And I would pay entrance and I would go and sit by Mary all day, making sure she had water and food. And I kept telling her, I'm not going to leave until she's mine. And then at the end of the day oh at six God. in the evening, when they shut their doors, I would say, can I have Mary? And they'd say no. And I'd say, okay, see you tomorrow. And that's, I just did that for 12 days and it was very peaceful. I paid my entrance. I sat quietly beside her, but I was basically like letting it be known to her and them that I wasn't going away. <laughs> You were her stalker, but like in a good way. You pay, you paid the entrance fee to stalk her. So you take this this goat home. Are you living alone at the time? Yeah. Okay. And did you have an? Do you have any other pets at the time? Oh my god, that's totally not even true. I wasn't living alone. Uh, god, I felt alone. I guess in the endeavor, uh, but no, 
I had, oh my God, I don't, that's so funny that I said that. No, I was not living alone at the time. I was living with my husband at the time and my, our very young son, he was a year old. And so this little vigil at the petting zoo was actually staged with my son and he would sit in my lap and we would talk about, these are her eyes, these are her ears, these are her toes. And we would just keep each other company together. Okay, so you bring your goat home to your husband. Now, we have to take a step back because we're going to go somewhere else absolutely in another direction for one second. Your husband gave you a surprise wedding. Yes. So so the husband that was around at the time that I was bringing animals home from that petting zoo, that was my first husband. First husband. Second okay. husband that uh, took me for a surprise wedding. And we are still married today okay. and we run the gentle barn together. His name is Jay Weiner. Okay. So he's the one that matters. The other guy was a nice guy and we appreciate yes. him. We're moving on. You, <laughs> um, this show is about a world gone good. And I read this recently cause you posted something. You, we're going to just go here for two seconds. Your second husband, his name's Jay. He just surprised you one day and said, meet me somewhere. And it turned out you were getting Yes. Married. So Jay came in as a volunteer to the gentle barn. And then a year later we fell in love and we run the gentle barn together. So we have never not known each other without the gentle barn. So because the gentle barn is, you know, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, it's a full-time endeavor. There was just never enough time for us to really plan a wedding. We were so busy. So, uh, 10 years exactly, the day after Thanksgiving, he said to me, hey, um, we're going to go to a museum. I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. He said, get in the car. I was like, okay. So we all got in the car and he drove to Burbank to allegedly pick up his mom. And he was driving around and he wasn't really making any sense. And we were all hungry and we were saying, oh, let's stop for food. But he, he wasn't. And then eventually he, he ended up at the airport and he looked at me and said, will you marry me? And I'm like, well, yeah, but there's no lunch at the airport. And he said, we're not going to lunch or the museum. We're going to get married. And I'm like, oh, stop it. And he's like, I packed your bags. I brought you a wedding dress. I planned the whole thing. He put us all on a plane and flew us to Las Vegas. And we had the most fun and romantic wedding there has ever been. We got married at um, the Venetian. And it was so romantic and fun uh who does that who buys his wife a dress that that's the most amazing part of this story and i'm a guy and uh, and then i'm uh, married to a man myself but if i had to pick out a dress for a woman that would be a disaster okay i am a woman and i couldn't do it i <laughs> pulled it off he went into the dress shop and there was a dress on a mannequin with my build and he pointed to the dress and said i want that one and they were like, sir, what do you mean you want that one? Where's your wife? You can't buy a dress by yourself for your wife. And he said, no, this is a surprise wedding. And they sat him down and they're like, sir, you cannot do this. It doesn't work that way. And he's like, no, that mannequin looks exactly like her. I want that dress. And they said, sir, you where's the maid of honor. You cannot do this. And they proceeded to show him like 50 other dresses. And he patiently sat through it all. And at the end, he was like, no, I want that dress. And they're like, you're going to mess this up. And he's like, Nope, I want that dress. And he bought it and brought it and, and presented it to me when he flew us to the wedding and it fit me like it had been tailor made to me. Oh my God. Oh my. All right. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm doing a Valentine's day show yeah. 
um, and I may pull this part of the story out and put it in the Valentine's Day show because, or I may have to call you with your husband and have you guys tell the story together. Oh, okay, so I would love to to do one with my husband and talk about our entire like engagement and wedding because it's an incredible story. The whole thing. Okay, so all right, well that'll be that'll we'll do another one in like a month. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll plan that. Okay, but let's get back to <laughs> all right. So getting back to the gentle barn, um, where did the name come from? It came from the sky. I So I pulled animals out from that petting zoo enough so that one day I woke up in the morning, saw my backyard full of animals and said, holy crap, I just started my dream. I was walking around in a daze that day in the barnyard going, oh my God, I really, I started my dream. This is it. This is the beginning. And I walked around the yard and I was like, what should I call it? And the words, the gentle barn fell from the sky into my head. And I remember looking up going, that's genius. Thank you. Wow. I love that. And, and how does this start? I mean, did you, did it start on the property you're on or did it start smaller and you moved it to the property you're on? Yeah. It literally started at that little house with a half acre backyard because of the petting zoo. I started bringing animals home from that petting zoo. One day I looked into my backyard that was full of animals and said, holy cow, I just started my dream, got the name, the gentle barn. And then I said, um, I just it, word spread very, very quickly that there was some crazy lady in the valley that's taking broken. <laughs> <laughs> so a lady called with a pig that was going to be slaughtered. And I drove by a horse sale and found these old, lame, scared horses and brought them home. And then I found a homeless woman that was living in her car with all these chickens and pigs. And I took them home and people started calling and little by little, the backyard filled up with animals. And then I realized I'm going to have to find a way to support this because my first husband was getting more and more unhappy about what was happening in the yard. Right. And I established a 501c3 and kind of told the public, Hey, you can come in and meet these animals on Sundays and you can bring your school field trips during the week and we can do groups of special needs kids during the week and word spread and people started coming and we lasted there. Well, so my first husband, um, kind of in the first couple of years was like, yeah, this isn't for me. And he left. And then a year later or a while later in came Jay as a volunteer and started helping me more and more and more and more. And a year later we fell in love. And then Jay took us from that little half acre backyard with a handful of animals to where we are today, which is uh, we are in Santa Clarita, California, which is 30 minutes North of Los Angeles. We're on our main location is on five acres but then 10 minutes up the road, we have our son Clarella healing center where the majority of our younger, bigger cows live. We have like 38 cows that live there. And it's also where new animals come to be triaged, quarantined, and socialized. This is a giant undertaking for anyone to take on. What advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about doing something like you did? What, like, what are three things you would tell somebody? So my advice for anyone that wants to start a sanctuary or really anyone that has any kind of dream, my three pieces of advice are number one, never, ever, ever take no for an answer. Number two, find a way to get used to receiving 
so that when you start your dream, the universe can really rush in and support it and uplift you so that you could do your really, really important work. Um, and number three, know how important and valuable you are, that if you're born with a dream inside of you, that that's literally why you're on this planet. And so you have to believe in that dream. You have to believe in your soul's purpose and you have to let it happen. It's so simple because there's so much time we spend talking and talking and talking, and then there's times when we just start doing. And I've said this before on this podcast is I had a moment in my life where I was really, it was a very dark time and, and I was not in a good place and, and I was in therapy and I was, the therapist told me you need to be on these medications and all these things that I didn't want to mm -hmm. do. And I decided to take, to do exercise instead. Cause I had read up that, you know, um, endorphins and serotonin and all these things change when you move your physically move yourself. And I was overweight and I was not happy in a lot of ways, but I joined this boot camp thing and it was torture. I signed up for a month, five days a week, 6 a.m. every morning before work. And there was one class about two weeks in and I was just not, I couldn't, I kept, my brain was just overthinking everything and I was too scared and I couldn't get in the zone. And the man running the boot camp, his name is Barry. He had this microphone and he was doing a boot camp with like 50 people and he he stood next to me on a, on a treadmill and he and he I'm running and he took the microphone down and he leaned into me and he said stop thinking and just move wow. and then I know to a lot of people that doesn't mean a lot but to me it was so simple is that sometimes you just have to turn your brain off and take that step forward and trust mm. you know and, and then that really reflects back to your relationship with your animals, because there's got to be a trust between you and these animals. Uh, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. It's the most I found. I find that most of the profound things in life are the simplest. And yes. a lot of people want to know, you know, how to start a sanctuary and, and what would I what advice would I give them? And the truth is that, like because I wrote a book, it's called My Gentle Barn, Creating a Sanctuary Where Animals Heal and Children Learn to Hope. And in the book, it's how I started The Gentle Barn and all the challenges that we've gone through. And the book is not filled with good advice. The book is actually filled with my mistakes because the truth is that at that petting zoo, when that goat Mary was blocking the exit and asking me for help, had I really thought about well, how am I going to run the money? How am I going to raise the money? And and do I have enough room for animals? And am I zoned? And what's my husband going to think? And how am I going to raise my child? If I had started thinking any of those things, I would have not saved her life and I wouldn't have not started my dream. But I didn't think. She asked me for help. My soul knew that I had to help her. I brought her home. It led to me bringing many more animals home. Before I knew it, it was obvious that I was open and I just found a way to make it work. And I went through a lot of challenges, don't get me wrong. But oh, sure. I came through it with this beautiful national organization that's saving hundreds of animals and healing hundreds of thousands of people. And it was the doing and the not thinking that led me there. So I love your story and it's so true. It's sometimes it's just action. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, well, I'm just going to go for this. It even happened with this podcast. I've told this story before too. If people are listening again, they'll be like, oh, I'll just zoom through this part. Um, I started this podcast because I couldn't find the podcast that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, how hard could it be to do a podcast? And I'm 10, 11 episodes in already. And I just ask people and they say yes or no. And, and you're an example of it. We didn't know each other, but I said, I'm going to put this energy out there and I'll figure the rest of it out. The technical side, you can always figure out tasks. 
and the like are easy to teach yourself, but it's the, it's the doing that comes with it. Um, so let me ask you this is a very umbrella question. What is your goal with the gentle barn? Um, that is an intricate question because there's one overall answer and then there's like a million things underneath that umbrella. But the top answer of what I want to do with the gentle barn is I want to find a way to work with animals, to save them, to heal them, to share their stories so that I can help humanity be more gentle. Um, there's too much separation on our planet right now. We live in this fast-paced, high-tech world where we are removed from nature, we are removed from animals, and therefore we are removed from ourselves. And I think that separation is leading us in a very dangerous and bad direction where it's um, destroying the environment. It is causing suffering for animals and people alike. And I think that if we can find more connections if we can look for our similarities instead of our differences, if we can connect back to nature and want to protect it, and we can connect to the similarities we have with animals and know that we're family and we're not separate and we can stop destroying them, that connection can start leading us to a better path um, of peace and wholeness and love and connection and listening to our own still small voice inside of ourselves we've got astray from that. And so I kind of want to heal the planet and heal humanity in this work that I'm doing, uh, saving animals and healing people. Well, I think you definitely are. And I think that the pandemic has forced us all to slow the part of my language. Fuck yeah. down. And uh, I want to go there for a second. How has the pandemic affected the gentle barn? Yes. It's been an incredible, incredible time. Um, on one hand, we used to get thousands of visitors every Sunday coming in with their donations and it would support the organization and support the animals. So, you know, 10 months ago with the pandemic, we had to shut our doors and those people weren't coming with their donations. So at first glance, we've been trying to keep our doors open. We've been trying to raise money. We've been trying to get the funds to continue the care that the animals are used to and deserve. And we're trying to find really innovative ways to kind of roll with the punches and find a way to survive these times. So our in-person visits um, on Sundays, we have turned into gentle drive-throughs where people can come and listen to audios about the history of the gentle barn and the stories of the animals. We serve them lunch that they enjoy while watching cows play in the COVID safety of their cars we now do virtual tours and um, Zoom hacks and virtual field trips. And we, we, um, we came up with a 10 class science class uh, because now all kids are homeschooled. And so we came up with a virtual My Gentle Classroom where kids can learn science standards in the barnyard with the animals. It's a great pivot. It's a great pivot. You've yeah. Done. So, I mean, that's, we came up with things that we never would have come up with before. Sure. And even after it, the pandemic, we might continue these programs because now we can kind of connect with people all over the world. Whereas before we were just doing in-person visits. So, I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity to look at things differently and come up with new and innovative ideas. Um, the other thing that's happened is 
slaughterhouses are shutting down because of COVID. And so the farmers don't want to get stuck with all these animals that they can't send to market. And so the meat and dairy industries were also shutting down and failing economically. And so they've been sending all of their animals to slaughter and all those animals are being kept pregnant, right? So in the beef and dairy industry, those animals are kept pregnant. And normally um, they would birth the cows and then the cows would go off to slaughter. But now these huge ranches are shutting down and sending all of their animals to slaughter. So there's this huge epidemic that's happened in the last 10 months of pregnant animals going to slaughter and giving birth on the slaughterhouse floor. And so we've established relationships with these slaughterhouses that when a baby is born at the slaughterhouse, they'll enable us to take the baby and the mom out of there and allow them to live here at the gentle barn. And so because it's happening in such great numbers, we've done more rescues from the slaughterhouse in the last 10 months that we've done in the last five years. And at the same time, we have less volunteers coming because we can only put one volunteer at a time in our barnyard so that they're protected. And so we've been working, I mean, 18 hour days, seven days a week with no lunch break pretty much for the last 10 months. Oh my gosh. um, To save these animals. So it's been, it's been creative. It's been innovative. It's been exciting. um, And it's also been really, really hard work. I'm going to ask you a question, which you're probably not going to answer. Do you have a, a favorite of all time that comes to mind of all your animals? Or do you have a couple favorites? I know you have a new, um, I've seen him in your house named John Lewis, a new little baby cow. But do you have a favorite that pops in your head when you think of all the years? Well, I don't have a favorite because they're all my babies and I love them all equally. They all, I love them so much equally and they all come to me with gifts and lessons that have changed my life equally. Um, but I do have three animals that I need the most. And actually, I don't know if you believe in reincarnation, but I happen to believe it's the same soul in all three animals. So uh-huh. um, my very first cow, her name is Buddha. And she's no longer with me physically, but she came early on at the gentle barn and she taught me everything I needed to know. She hosted every single school field trip, every private tour, and every group of at-risk inner city and special needs children. She gave out 300,000 hugs in her lifetime. She taught me to meditate. She wrapped her neck around me when I cried and was going through those early on challenges of the gentle barn. Um, She had a great sense of humor. She was remarkable. And I went to her when I was sad. I went to her when I was excited. She was my greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was Buddha. And then years later, I wanted to go national and open multiple gentle barns, but it never seemed to really work. And then we got a call from a cow in Tennessee that had lost his foot and he was hobbling around in pain. And to make a long story short, we ended up rescuing him, getting him the necessary surgeries, fitting him with a prosthetic foot. And he ended up being world famous um, for the five months that he was in the hospital. And by the time he was ready to leave the hospital, we ended up opening a gentle barn in Tennessee for him and he helped us go national. Wow. And then he left his body. And then now during this pandemic, the last call that we got from the slaughterhouse 
was a calf that was born to a very, very sick mother and they wouldn't let us rescue the mom, but they released the baby to us. And his name is John Lewis. And we brought him home orphaned at a week old with severe pneumonia and an extremely high temperature. We brought him home to our son Chlorella Healing Center, but we couldn't cool the barn down enough to save him. And we knew we had to do something drastic or we would lose him. And so we ended up moving him into our living room. And I moved downstairs with him and became his mom. And I was with him 24 seven. And my husband built an oxygen tent that we did treatments in three times a day. And those things combined little by little, very, very slowly, he began to heal. And he lived four months in our house until he outgrew it and preferred to be outside. Now he lives in our backyard. And um, with social media, with Zooms, with the world standing still right now and needing some hope, he is the most famous of all three of them. And people tune into our pages just to see what he's doing each day because he is giving people something else to focus on. He is uplifting people with his sense of humor and his funny antics. And he's got an amazing opportunity because he will do things that no cow has ever done. Um, We just trailer trained him and we're now taking him to places. So he just did his first outing the other day where we took him hiking. We're going to take him to the beach. We're going to take him out for vegan ice cream. Um, We're going to take him probably to children's hospitals, to war veteran centers, domestic violence shelters. He will have a chance to go places and do things that no cow has ever done before. He will show the world once and for all that cows are exactly the same as dogs and should enjoy the same freedoms and rights and respects. Um, He is allowing people to fall in love with him so deeply that they're... um, being very gently led to different dietary choices, um, more gentle eating habits, and he's going to change the world. And I think the world really needed him now. So that's going to lead us to pretty much wrapping this up. I have three questions after this, but I'm going to let you do what you do so well. There's a number one thing that we can talk about for a few minutes here that everyone on this planet can do to support the planet and support animals. And what is that? Going vegan. And when did you go vegan? So I went vegetarian when I was 11 years old, when I realized, when I found out that chicken, the animal is the same thing as chicken and rice, but I didn't understand the truth behind the dairy and the egg industry until much later. It was actually when I had just started the gentle barn, some man came to visit and he was asking me if I was vegan. And I said, no, I'm American. (laughs) <laughs> I know that's how like ignorant I was. Right. He said, no, but do you eat animals? And I said, no. And I very proudly told him that I went vegetarian when I was 11. And he said, yeah, but what about dairy and eggs? And I'm like, oh, but that doesn't hurt anybody. And right. he told me the truth that day. He told me that in order to get milk from a cow, it's breast milk, just like from any other mammal. And so they have to impregnate the cow, kill the baby and steal the milk for humans to drink. And in the egg industry, they kill all the male chicks and the females have to live their entire lives in cages, uh, right. eggs for people and ultimately be sent to slaughter at a very young age when their egg production slows down. And as soon as he told me that, I was like, well, you asked me if I was vegan, I'm vegan now. And that was 20 years ago. Wow. And well, yeah, I, Go ahead. I, I, I think that, I think that, 
I think that people don't realize how impactful going vegan is. I think that people see this big ocean of a problem and they think, oh, well, what's little old me going to do about it? Who cares if what I eat or what I do? It's never going to stop the problem. And I think that going vegan is way more impactful than people realize. When one person goes vegan, they save two, 200 animals a year. When one person goes vegan, they save 1,100 gallons of water a day. The cumulative effect of that can end this drought. When one person goes vegan, we save an acre of trees every year combating deforestation. And when one person goes vegan, we reduce our own risks of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol level, and dementia by 90%. So those are really, really, really big impacts. And when each of us kind of awakens to gentleness and connects with animals and falls in love with nature, that's how the world is going to change. That's how the future generation will come onto this planet with a, with a softer footprint. And that's how we can start slowly and gently and carefully unraveling the damage that we've done and heading into a more peaceful, loving, harmonious life for all of us. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I had a friend uh, recently post something, uh, a meme that he put up, and he said something about um, uh, vegans um, are 43% more likely to break a bone and not have it heal right after the age of 65. Not not mean that they're clumsy, but if they fall, they're going to have less chance of it healing right because they're not eating meat, right? So underneath it, all these people were posting all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I eat meat. Blah, blah, blah. And I wrote underneath it, now do cancer rates. And all these people were like, wow. And I'm like, because go look it up. Your cancer rate goes down between 23 and 26% just by going vegan. That's just one part of it. And I went, I called it almost vegan because I <laughs> January, January 1st, 2014, um, I've had fish, I think, three times since then. And I've had eggs my friend has chickens in her backyards, males and females, and they drop eggs. And I've had those eggs. And, but, but it's not that hard of a change. For me, as a 50-year-old man, the greatest compliment I get as I pat myself on the back is people can't believe I'm 50 years old. Yeah. They look at me and they say, oh, my God, you look like you're 35. And I'm like, because I don't eat any meat. Yeah. I don't drink. I hated milk as a kid. It grossed me out. I thought as a child of what milk was. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to drink that. And it just, it made me sick to my stomach to think of it. I'm, I'm not a cheese person. I'm not a butter. Like these are simple, impactful ways, again, that if, if every one of us would just do one little drop of work times billions of people, we can change the world. And that's very simple. And we are changing the world. I mean, people ask me all the time, especially kind of animal activists and, you know, other vegan people and animal lovers. They ask me all the time, why are you so hopeful? Why are you so happy? Why aren't you bitter and angry like the rest of us? <laughs> and I say, the reason is because, well, number one, how you feel is what you're creating, right? So if I'm angry and bitter, I'm just creating more anger and bitterness in the world. And that's not what I want to do. I want to create more love, more peace, more joy, and more harmony. So those things have to emanate out from me. So that's first of all. But second of all, um, I meet children all the time. People, will, families will bring their kids to the gentle barn and they'll kind of like thrust their two-year-old at me and say, he will not eat meat. I don't know what to do with him. What do we do? And I will first of all bow at his feet because he's come to save 
right. <laughs> and second of all, and then, you know, I help them nutritionally and with shopping and cooking ideas. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that thing that your friend posted. And I wonder about that because actually the breast milk from cows is meant for baby cows, not us. It's not designed for us. Uh, human breast milk is designed for us and we're supposed to wean after two years old, right? But we're right, right. cows. And so it's actually been proven that cow milk and animal milk leaches calcium from our bones, whereas broccoli and almonds strengthen our bones. Yeah. So you can also take a, a calcium supplement and vitamin D and we're the only animal creature on the planet that drinks another animal's milk. Yes. We're the only one. Yes, way so, past the age of weaning. Right? <laughs> it makes no sense. I Okay, so I'm on board. <laughs> you you've won me over. Okay. So I I typically end this show with three questions. Don't worry, you know the answers. They're super simple. I'm going to ask you the easiest one. Where can people find you online and how can people help the gentle barn? Uh, people can find us online at gentlebarn.org. We are also on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Um, and I think one of the funnest, most exciting interactive ways to support the Gentle Barn is to go to our website, gentlebarn.org, find the animals, look at their pictures and read their bios, and find an animal that you can sponsor. It's such a fun way. The monthly nominal donations that come out of the sponsorships lift up the Gentle Barn and enable us to care for our 200 rescued animals and save more when the slaughterhouses call. But the other thing is that in exchange, the sponsors get a behind the scenes, regularly emailed monthly update of how the animals are doing with a brand new picture. So you stay in touch with the animals, get updates of them in new pictures, and the funds uplift the whole organization. And so um, please come to the Gentle Barn, gentlebarn.org, sponsor an animal and become part of our gentle family. I'm going to ask you two questions to answer to end this interview, and it can reflect back on anything we've already said or anything you want to tell us. So here's question number one. Don't worry, you know the answer. Who inspires you? My animals. The animals at the Gentle Barn inspire me every single day. They are the most courageous, resilient, wise, enlightened beings I have ever had the honor and privilege to know. And finally, this can be anything you want. Tell me something good. Something good. I think that goodness is everywhere. Goodness is everywhere. And goodness is in a child's eyes. Goodness is in a stranger's smile. Goodness is in a butterfly gracing you with its blessings. Goodness is in a tree that you can hug and recenter yourself anytime you need. Goodness is in closing your eyes, smelling the fresh breeze, and knowing that we can always at any moment reinvent ourselves or choose a new direction in our lives. We can reconnect to who we are and why we've come, and we can live lives full of purpose and destiny. And no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter what people say about us, we can start anew and afresh and reinvent everything in any moment that we choose. And I believe, Steve, that your, your show is helping people do that. And it's a deep honor 
to be a part of your podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Ellie, for sharing your good with us. I was already a fan. Now I feel like a friend. Please visit The Gentle Barn online or in person and help us all create and live in a gentler world. Next time on World Gone Good. Everybody wanted to be an angel. I mean, but it was, it was, that, that was pretty much it of just the falling in love with the, with the beautiful angels. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who turned his fandom into a career. Mike Pingle talks the good in being a memorabilia collector, authoring multiple books, and his fondest memories from his longtime friendships with several angels on Earth, including the one and only Farah. It's going to be a heavenly good show. Until then, be good.